brother. Appreciate that. We'll miss you next week as we miss you before, but we pray that you be safe and have a great time. Amen. I guess everybody needs to have some time off, right? To relax, take it easy, and uh, not think. You ever get tired of thinking? And you got to think every day, all day long. It gets tough every day of your life. But, uh, you know, I was thinking that the Lord has been good to us. I was thinking today that the, the people that are here, the church that we have, what God's done and what God's doing. And I tell you, the Lord has been so gracious. He shall be so kind. You ever just feel unworthy? You feel like from time to time that, man, you're just so undeserving. And, and man, I tell you, you just don't know what, what God's seen in you or see what God saw in us. It's humbling. It's humbling. And I, I kind of feel that this morning. But glory to his name. And it's good to see you all here this morning. If you have your Bibles, like if you turn to Revelation chapter 5. I was just planning on preaching the the overcomers there in verses chapters 2 and 3 but then we got to chapter 4 last Sunday and and uh, man I was encouraged to talk about the throne and then I said man I guess Lord we go to chapter 5 and so now we're in chapter 5 and so let's stand to our feet and it's got 11 verses or I'm sorry it's got 14 verses and uh, chapter 4 was about the throne now, the emphasis haven't left the throne. It will never leave the throne. The power and the authority and the sovereignty is the throne. But there's something there on the throne that kind of has taken chapter 5 that we might want to talk about, and it's called the book. The book. The book's important. I pray you have a book right now in your hand. Amen. If you don't have one, there's some on the back pew back there you can put in your hand. A book. And uh, I pray that it would bless your heart. Here in chapter 5, verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, and to lose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, nor under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And behold, and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book. And to open the seals thereof, and thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. 
and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in earth, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that there of them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb, forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Father, the passage this morning, Lord, is sobering. Lord, on one side, it's, it's such a celebration. On the other side, God, it's something, Lord, that even caused John to weep. So we're praying this morning that you'd give us the understanding of it. God, make it real clear to us what all this means. How does it, does it affect our lives today, Lord, in the future? Uh, Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd save the lost, especially today, and I pray that you'd help the Christian, God, to look to the Word of God and find strength and find hope and confidence. I pray, Lord, now you'll lead and guide the service. I pray you'll bring us back again here tonight at 6 o'clock. God, that we may again lift up your name in song and word. Father, I pray you'll bless the time together now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We notice here this morning uh, the book's outline. The book. If you notice, as I read chapter 5, the book was mentioned several times. It's mentioned more than anything else in that chapter. So we have to know that the context of the Scripture is about a book. Now, I will say to you as a Christian this morning, your life is about a book. This church is about a book. All that we do is about a book. Everything in life ought to be about a book. The book is very close related to the Son of God, Jesus himself. The Bible says he's the Word. And we find this morning you'll not get through anywhere without a book. You'll not get to heaven without the book. You'll not have the Christian life without the book. You'll not do anything tonight, today, that pleases God without the book. The book will be something that you need to hold dear and near to the heart as you walk this Christian life. You'll not know God without the book. You'll not know who, how God is. You'll not know anything about the future, about what will take place. You'll know anything about parenting or how to be a husband or how to be a, how to be a child, how to be a worker, uh, how to live a life that's at all uh, worthy and then profitable and beneficial without book. The book this morning is what you have in your hand, the Word of God, the book. And it's the same book as it was spoken of here in chapter 5. I, I would like for us to get that into our minds and hearts that when it's talking about the book, uh, you have the book in your hand. The book, the book that was at on the throne, as you read there, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book that book this morning is the same book in which you have there in revelation and so we're going to know uh, that the book that we have uh come from heaven amen uh it was in the hand of the right hand of god on the throne 
Now, we're not talking about a book that's been written by man. We're not talking about a book this morning that accidentally got here. We're talking about a book uh, that has been uh, at the throne of God. I'm saying this morning the power and the authority of the Word of God this morning is astounding. It's beyond even comprehension. You can throw it in the back of your car. You can throw it in your trunk. You can put it on your dash. You can not read it through the week. You can put it under your bed, put it in your drawer. Uh, You can tear it up. You can burn it. You can throw it away. You can do anything you want to do with this morning. But the bottom line is that this book that we're speaking of this morning, chapter 5, is the Word of God. It was in the right hand of of, of God on the throne of God. And so what you have will never cease to be. It ought to be something that we might look to and even love. We find the book's outline. We find that in writing this book, he's telling John uh, to write. We we see in that this morning, uh, there's three parts of this book. He says in chapter 1 of Revelation, if you turn there with me, and verse 19, he says, write the things which thou hast seen. That's the first part. And then he says, and the things which are, that's what's going on now. And then he says, and the things which shall be hereafter. The things that's going to happen later. And so the book here in Revelation we're speaking of is a book, a scroll, if you'll set that away. And it's going to be divided into three parts. And the first part, it says, write the things which thou hast seen. And so in verse 11 of chapter 1, we see, saying, I am an Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest. He tells them this, write in a book. And so we find, according to Jesus, to John, John, whatever you see right now, whatever you see right this day, you're going to write in the book. All right, so the book is what we have, and that's the book that he's speaking of there in chapter 5. He says, now when you write the book in verse 11, he says, and send it unto the seven churches. So what are you going to do with the book, John, after you write what you see? I'm going to send it to the church. So the book that we have this morning is sent to the church. It's not sent to the world. It's not sent to the lost. It's not sent to the heathens and pagans. It's sent to the church. The church who has the Spirit of God indwelt in them. For the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God, as He breathed on those men, they penned the Scripture. And this morning, the book is alive. It's more powerful, amen, than a two-edged sword. There's nothing in all the world that would pierce even the soul and the spirit down in the marrow and the joints of anyone except the Word of God. The Word of God this morning has been sent to the church. I just want you to know that. That the Bible you have in your hand, the King James Bible you have in your hand, uh, that is the Word of God has been sent to the church. There's nobody else in all the world that has a right to comment or even have any kind of addition or subtraction from it. It's none of their business. It's God's business, and God said, send it to the churches. I'm glad I'm part of the church, aren't you? 
Man, I feel kind of important this morning now since I, there's a book, and that book is going to be sent to the churches. We have a book that's for us. And so we can look at the Word of God this morning, and we can say, boy, this is for us. This ain't for my neighbor. This ain't for my friend. This ain't for my enemy. This is for me, the church. Amen. So we can say we have a book for us. And then we could say also, according to that statement that Jesus made to John, that this, we have a book that's about us. It's about us. We're in it. I mean, listen, friend, whoever else wrote a book about us? God did. I tell you, we have a book that's not only for us, but it's about us. But then we have a book that's to us. So we got a book. Hallelujah for the book. I mean, I'm glad this morning that, that I have a word of God and I've got a book uh, that come from God. Hey, this book that I have is inspired. Jesus is inspiring John to write it. And so we find the inspired word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scriptures inspired, right? So we find that Jesus is inspiring John to write it, send it to the churches. But then we notice that it's preserved. For Jesus said to what you see, write, and then what you write, send it to the churches. Do you think the world could have stopped that? Do you think the devil could have stopped that? Do you think anybody could stop that? Do you think any situation, circumstance could stop that? Any war, any battle, any fight could have stopped that? Friend, I'll tell you right, there's nothing in all this earth and all even out of hell this morning in any government in any place this morning when Jesus said to John, John, write what you see and send it to the churches. That was a preservation of the Word of God. Oh, that just happened to be in Psalms chapter 12, verse 7 and 8, if you want to read that, how the Word of God's preserved for all generations. But not only was it an inspired that Jesus inspired John, but Jesus preserved, but Jesus published. He said to John, John, he said, whatever you see, write and send it to the churches. In other words, there was a guaranteed publishing of it. And so there was no mistakes. There were not, but the Bible says in Psalms chapter 68, and there in verse 11, it says, and he shall publish it. And so there's a publication of the Word of God. There is an inspiration of the Word of God. There's a preservation of the Word of God. And Jesus is the one who done it. So that Bible we have this morning comes a little special to us. We got a Bible from heaven. We've got it. We've got it. It's inspired by Him. It's a, it's a published by Him. And it's preserved by Him. Oh, yes. I, I'm grateful for that, don't you? I'm glad this morning uh, that this book that we're speaking of this morning, I can have the availability. But not everybody in all the world has the availability to it. I mean, I imagine probably some of y'all have two or three of them at home. Y'all might even have a big old family Bible there on the front table. I don't know if they do that anymore, but, but a lot of people have uh, many of Bibles. They got a Bible in each room. It's like a TV. Uh, they got a Bible and a TV and a computer in their rooms, amen? And they got them in their cars, and, and they got them at the work, and they got them everywhere you go. Uh, there's a Bible, 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 Bible. But our, our country and our world's in the sorriest position it's ever been before. We're in the lowest moral place you've ever been. Spiritually speaking, we're in a drought. 
I mean, we're the sorriest place we've ever been in my lifetime, and we got Bibles and churches everywhere. We know what the problem is. We're taking the Word of God lightly and lightly esteeming the Lord. And so we don't care to take the Word of God as if we see it right here as the inspired, preserved, published Word of God that at one time was in the hand of God on the throne. Man, when you really see that, when you really get that, you're going to take your Bible seriously. You're going to take your Bible and read it without any having any kind of thought, is there an error in this? Any kind of thought, there's a mistake here. You know, like Brother Charles, Friday night, he, he read a passage of Scripture. It says on the ninth day, then the other one, it says, what, on the twelfth day or something like that? Seven and ten? Seventh day and the tenth day. And so he brought up the thought, was there a mistake? Hey, immediately I said no. I knew it wasn't a mistake, but then we got to figure out why it's different. Amen? And very clear and very plain that it was. And I'm just saying this morning, when we can get into the mind and the heart, in our mind and our heart, that this Bible, this book that we have is a something that God sent to us, man, it becomes something personal. It becomes something very, very powerful for us. It's one of the most, most expensive things we have in our life. The Word of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 5. I'm sorry, chapter 1. Verse 10. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He's writing what he sees. First thing he does, he hears Jesus. The second thing he sees there in verse 12 is that he sees Jesus. He said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden, seven golden, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and the girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were as the flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, as his voice, as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a, sh a sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Man, that's what John saw. Now remember, Jesus said, write what you see, John, and you send it to the churches. And sure enough, it's sent to us. We got it before us this morning. And this is how we have it. Because Jesus said to do it. And so now we find as he saw, what he did he see? He saw Jesus. And then he feels Jesus. In verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. And so he feels Jesus. 
Now, what's so encouraging about this so far, if you can remember, uh, Jesus came and Jesus lived and, uh, for three and a half years uh, there in the ministry, and uh, he died on a cross, and, and they, he was buried, and he resurrected. And in Acts chapter 1, those that were there saw him ascend unto heaven. Amen. And the last thing that anybody knows about Jesus is he said he's coming as he left. So it's been some years now. It's been some time now. And the only thing that they know about Jesus is that he's coming back someday. They don't know when he's coming back. They don't know anything about that. They just know that the last time that anybody really saw him, besides the 500 and a few other, after his resurrection, when he came back and to let them see him and talk to him, uh, but then all the rest, all they know is he died. And all they ever seen Jesus physically is he was put in the grave. And then he's no longer in the grave. And so what happened to Jesus? That was the mind of all that. But then John comes and John says, Well, I saw Jesus. Yeah. What? You saw Jesus? Yeah, write that to the church. Let them know that he saw me. I heard Jesus. You heard his voice? See, anyone you love like Jesus, it will thrill you to hear somebody else say, I heard his voice. Like, I would probably give uh, almost everything I had this morning just to hear my daddy's voice again. Right? I mean, some of y'all like that and other people in your life. Jesus is the top of my life. If I, can hear, I never heard his voice before. But can you imagine hearing his voice? And John says, I heard his voice. And then, after I heard his voice, I saw him. i never seen him like this before. I mean, he was a some different. I mean, if there was any words to explain, he was magnificent. I mean, he was someone that you could not deny. I mean, that description that he gave from verse 12 to verse 15 there. I mean, everyone, we could talk about it for days on what he looked like and, and what, he, what he had about him and, and all the brightness and all the, the glory and all of the power that was with him. I mean, things like fire, things like furnace, things like the sun. I mean, listen, I saw him and then he touched me. Then he touched me. You mean Jesus touched you, John? Oh, yeah. He touched me. And so we find as this is writing, you say, you don't understand what all this means. Uh, then, he, then he experienced Jesus. In verse 18, one of the greatest verses of all the Word of God. He says, I am <coughs> he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death. In other words, what Jesus was saying to John, and I want you to write this, John, and I want you to write it and send to the churches, and I want them to know I am alive. <laughs> yeah. I was dead. I did die. That wasn't a lie. That was true. 
I died, and I died just like all would die. I died, but I'm alive. I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore. I will be alive for all of eternity, never to die again, never to cease again. I am the Lord. I have the keys of hell. I have the keys of death. I am in authority. And I'm just letting you know, John, you send these to my churches. And you let my churches know that I am alive and never well. Man, that's encouragement. My Jesus is alive. No matter what they say, no matter what they, they can come to me and say, your Jesus is dead. Uh, have you seen him? It's been 2,000 years now. Ain't nobody seen him. Ain't nobody even know what he looks like. He's not alive. Oh, but I got a book. And in that book was told to write unto the churches. And I'm the church. And I know within my heart because of the book that Jesus is alive and forevermore. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I'm going to tell you something. The reason why you have no emotions and while you're sitting there like half dead, and the reason why there's really not much going on with you right now concerning Jesus is because I just say this to you this morning, because that relationship you have with Jesus is very either shallow or very weak or not at all. I'm afraid today that the church has gotten cold. I'm afraid today the church has gotten calloused. I'm afraid today that the Astros brings more excitement in the Texans than Jesus does. I believe having a baby and getting married today is more gratification with that than Jesus is. I believe today getting a raise and getting a job and a new home and a new car today brings up more joy in your heart than Jesus does. I believe this morning for him that Jesus has lost his place and lost his priority in your life. I pray today that God would somehow, some way, uh, get our minds and get our hearts into a place where Jesus is the very theme of our heart and the preeminence of our life. That when John was told by Jesus to send those to the churches, man, that ought to have brought a shout to you. They ought to say, man, I know, I know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus is alive because you know every one of us this morning if jesus is dead so are you do you know if jesus is dead you're going to hell and you'll burn for all of eternity if jesus is dead you have no faith you have no trust you have nothing this morning of eternal factors you're spiritually dead and someday one day you'll be all in the lake of fire with burning if jesus is dead but we got a book and in that book, it's inspired and preserved and published. And, and we know without a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus we're speaking of is alive. The Word of God declares that Jesus is alive to the church. The Word of God declares that, that Jesus was dead to the church. And it declares this morning that He is alive forevermore and will be forever and ever. The church said, Amen! Can you imagine that, that book getting to the church? And the church said, the only thing, last time we seen Jesus, he died on the cross of Calvary and was buried, and the tomb was empty. But we got a book. 
Don't worry about that. He's alive. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The church today, we can trust in this perfect. We can trust in this pure. And we can trust in this powerful book. Amen. Friend, listen, we can go to the bank on it, and we go to eternity on it. Friend, there ain't nothing in all the world today that we ought to believe above that book. That book is perfect and pure and powerful. Hallelujah. Thank you for the book, Lord. The second thing that was written in the outline of the book was not only things that which he see, but the second in the part of that, chapter 1, verse 19, he says, in the things which are. Now, that was Revelation chapter 2 all the way down to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 22. Now, those described from A.D. 30 until the day in which we are, 2022, we found the church in this last days. We found the church in this last age, and we found the church in its last condition. It is the Laodicean church, the church of the Laodiceans in chapter 3, and there in church verses 14 down to verse 19. We find that the church of Laodiceans has moved uh, from the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Ephesus all the way down to the church of Laodiceans of the people now. It's the, it's the church of the people. It's the church of the world. Jesus is not in the church no longer. He's on the outside knocking the door. He no longer is chastising and rebuking the church because he doesn't love them with agape love. He loves them with phileo love. We find this morning uh, uh, that the age in which we live, which is today, he writes of that age. And he wrote it right there, verse chapters 2 and chapter 3. We're not going to go back over all that uh, we have in the past. And then the third section of Revelation chapter 1, verse 19 says, And the things which shall be hereafter. Now when you come to chapter 4, he begins to write things that shall be hereafter. We find it says in chapter 4, verse 1, after this. After what? After the church age. After the age of grace. After the church of Laodiceans. What's going to happen after this? Well, verse 2, or verse 1, the rapture. We preached all this already, but it's kind of. And then at the chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. See, it's right in the concordance of the Scripture. He said, John, but I've got to get you, the representation of the church, up here in order for us to talk about hereafter. For the rapture has to take place first before the tribulation period can begin. And so he's up. The church is raptured. We find the, the church is not only raptured, but then he talks about the tribulation period, chapter 6 to chapter 19. And then he talks about the millennial reign. And chapter, and chapter talks about the great white throne judgment, chapter 20. And then the millennial reign, chapter 20 as well. The new Jerusalem, chapter 21. The new earth and the new heaven in chapters 21 and 22. And so he's, he told all that scripture that we have now in the book, John was told to write and send it to the churches. So now the church can know what's on the next event. We're not dumb. 
Paul wrote in his scripture all the time, be not ignorant, brethren. And so we're not ignorant people because we have a book that's been given to us. And that book tells us oh, what's going to happen hereafter. So if we're, at, if we're at the end of Revelation chapter 3 and we're going into chapter 4, to us it's hereafter, right? And so we find ourselves now went through chapter 4. The rapture has happened. Now the throne in chapter 4 is the main focus. And guess who sits on the throne? Jesus. Jesus the Lord. Amen. And then we go to chapter 5. The throne is still the emphasis. But the one that's on the throne has a book in his hand. Amen. And so we find, uh, number two, not only the book's outline, but I want you to notice the book's owner. Who owns the book? I mean, somebody's got to own this book. Chapter 5, verse 1 tells us it's going to be the one whose hand is on it. Amen. It says, and I saw on the right hand of him. Now, who was him that sat on the throne? That's Jesus, you remember? He's the Lord God Almighty. Which was, which is, and which is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is which is, he which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen. That's him. He's on the throne. And he's sitting on the throne. And while he's sitting on the throne, according to chapter 5, verse 1, he's got a book in his right hand. Right hand always represents authority. It always represents power. And so in his power, in his authority, he's got this book. What book do you have? I've got the book that Jesus told John the right. And send it to the churches. In this book, it's going to tell us everything that's going to happen hereafter. The Word of God. And so we find the owner is Jesus the Lord. He's on the throne. It's him with the book. And it's him who sealed it. Who sealed the book? God. The Lord. He sealed it. It's his book. He had it written. And he seals it. Seven seals. The word seven is a word that, that will illustrate completion. Seven. Every time you see seven, you're going to see completion, 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 completion. So this book has seven seals. Now also this book is written within and on the backside. You know why it's written and on the backside? Because there's no other room for anything else. So this is the complete Word of God. There's not going to be anything added to it. There's no room. Front side, back side. Uh, there will be nothing at all to remove from it. There will be nothing at all that could be, uh, uh, could be say, okay, oh, I forgot that. I need to put this down in a little small print. Front side, back side. It's done. It's over. It's in his hand. It's sealed. has seven seals. And the owner is the Jesus the Lord. But then I want you to notice in verse 2. Angel from the Lord. He says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And so this angel who's from the Lord, you think this angel maybe, maybe was up there around the throne and he saw Jesus the Lord have this 
book in his hand, and uh, he said, well, I better, I better go around and find somebody who can open this book. Do you think he might have thought about that? No, I don't believe that at all happened. He don't do anything unless what God tells him to do. The Lord Jesus said, go and proclaim who's worthy to open this book. So here comes the angel of the Lord. Uh, remember, the book belongs to the Lord now. Uh, he said, who, who's, going to, who's going to open this book? Who's going to be worthy to open up this book? Uh, who's going to be able to begin the tribulation period? Because without the book being opened, the tribulation period can't start. Right? So in the book, it's going to start in chapter 6. That might be next week. And so we find uh, that in that mindset of the, of the, the uh, strong angel going about to all of heaven, saying, who is worthy to open the book uh, to start the tribulation period? We've got to get this period going. Yeah. Right? The rapture has happened. And, the, and we, it's what's next on the, on the agenda. It's what's next on the calendar of God is this, this tribulation. He said, boy, we've got to get that going. The tribulation of the judgment of God. The judgment of God that's coming upon this earth. It's got to be open. It's going to start the judgment. Who's worthy to start the judgment on this world? Who's worthy to begin Jacob's trouble? Who's worthy to bring the wrath of God upon the world? Who's worthy to do that? Who is in all of heaven and all of earth and all of hell is worthy to do that? And so he's proclaiming, who is worthy? Who is worthy to start the tribulation period, to begin the wrath of God, to begin the judgment upon the earth? Who's worthy to do that? So we find the angel of the Lord we find uh, this morning that word loose means to unbind or unseal or to undo. So this angel sent by the Lord to go and ask the question, who's going to undo this? Who has the worthiness to get this tribulation started? That the wrath and the judgment of God, who has that worthiness? Good question. I want you to notice the determination this morning of the Lord in verse 3. I noticed that uh, he says, And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. So what is being said here this morning is no one in heaven is worthy. Does that shock you? Noah? I mean, he's a pretty big figure, doesn't he? I mean, he's only one of the few that came out of the flood. Noah, he walked with God and found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, I tell you, Noah surely would have some sort of worthiness, right, to open up this and unloose this so that judgment of God would come upon the earth. How about Abraham? Man, he's the father of the Jews. He's the father of the faith. Abraham, the friend of God. 
I mean, he's in heaven there. I mean, Abraham, I'm talking about Abraham, uh, the Jesus Christ, his seed come from Abraham. Ah, you can't get no more bigger than Abraham. I mean, he, he seems to be the father of Christianity, the father of Judaism, the father of Muslims. They say, Abraham. I mean, how about David? I mean, David, the King David, the man who's after God's own heart. I'm telling you, friend, David, wouldn't he be worthy? How about Job? I mean, Job, the earliest man of the earliest book that's written there. He said he was the greatest, and he was, he was the, the one uh, that was all of the East. None greater than Job of all the East. Worthy, wouldn't he think he might be worthy? I'm going to think maybe Elijah. I mean, Elijah calling fire from down from heaven. How about Elisha just laying on that one and they come alive? How about? How about it, mother? It might be Isaiah or Jeremiah. It might be Zechariah or Zephaniah. It might be Malachi. It might be Haggai. It might be uh, this morning someone like Peter, Barnabas, Stephen. By one who died being stoned, who looked up and saw Jesus standing as the scroll, as the, as the, 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 the clouds began to scroll back, and he looked upon Jesus. Worthy. John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one come preaching repentance and faith. No great. Jesus said, There's none greater than John. That's what he said. So here's this angel coming out, and he says, Who is worthy to open the books? And the Bible says, No one in heaven. Old and New Testament don't matter. Anybody who's up there just not worthy. All right, well, let's go down to the earth. Let's see if there's anybody down there worthy. We can bring them up here. And so they go down to the earth. The Bible says in verse 3, Neither, uh, neither uh, nor the in the earth. Now we think about on the earth today, kings, kings, presidents, emperors, princesses. We think about leaders of great nations like China, Russia. We're talking about people that have authority and supremacy and, and they're, they're, they're very uh, political and power and authority. You say, surely they can have the worthiness to open this book. How about the billionaires and billionaires? How about all the money that runs in the world? I think there's only like 10 people, of, uh, 10 families who run all have majority of the money in the world. How about one of those guys? Bezos. Gates, Sorrels, maybe the Bushes, maybe the Clintons. Where are they? I mean, money, money, money. How about the scientists? How about the intellects? How about the ones that are inventors? How about the ones who just made more impact on the world by the, what they've done and how they manufactured and, and what they've done for us? Uh, how about, aren't they worthy enough? How about somebody like Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player to ever live? How about the GOAT, 
out there, Tom Brady, playing for the football, the Tampa Bay. How about somebody like old Babe Ruth or somebody like that out here playing today? A Tuve. I mean, they're superstars. They could go anywhere all over the world and make impressions like Dennis Rodman. And man, I tell you, they are just, they're falling out to see these people, these singers, uh, these movie stars, um, all of these people in all these places, and people spend millions and millions of dollars to watch them and hear them and be with them and look at them. The Kardashians. You, me, not worthy. So all of heaven, they searched the route and found none there. So go around all the earth and find there's none there. And then they went under the earth, which means hell. Now, they're, they're, they're reaching deep, ain't they? Whenever they're going to try and find somebody worthy to open up this, this book, and they're in hell. What are you in hell for? We'll try to find somebody worthy. Well, they're in hell. Hitler. Stalin. Napoleon. Alexander the Great. You say, brother, how you know they're in hell? How you know they're not? By their lifestyles. In Mao of China. Their lifestyles and what they did, the fruit of their, of their lives, friend, uh, revealed who they are and what they are today. Man, the, nobody even in hell. Nobody on earth. Nobody in heaven. Now, can I say this? That many wants to. There's a many today in heaven, and there's a many today in hell, and there's many on earth today that wants to be the one who's in charge. They want to control everything that goes on. They want to. Matter of fact, they're willing to. They're willing to spend a bunch of money. They're willing to, to lay some things aside. They're willing to do whatever it is, a sacrifice to make, like a Trump that wants to just rule and wants to reign and wants to be in charge. He wants control. And, boy, that's who's going to open this book is the one who's going to get the title deed of this world. Whoever opens this book is completely in charge of heaven and hell and earth. Everybody in hell is willing Everybody on earth is willing, and all of heaven is willing. But the question wasn't asked, who is willing to open the book? Or who wants to open the book? The question was asked, who is worthy to open the book? Amen? So, those people don't even meet the qualification. Who wishes to? Who wants to take over the world? Who wants to? And willing to and wishes to to control the earth. Who wants to rule the future? Now listen, friend. Everybody wants to do that. Who's anybody? But they're not worthy. Worthy. Can I say here, fourthly, not only the determination of the Lord and the owner, which is the Lord, and the angels of the Lord. But I notice in verse 4 and 5, the church of the Lord. Look at verse 4. 
And I wept much because a no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders, now who's the elders? Well, let's go back to chapter 3 real quick because we got to figure out who that is. Chapter 3 and verse 4 says, And around about the throne were twenty and four seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting. Well, who's going to sit there? We'll look at verse 21 of chapter 3. It says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Okay, well then, it must be overcomers that's going to, because they're sitting here, clothed in white raiment. Well, those that are has the clothe of righteousness upon them. Those that's been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those that are overcomers, and those who have the golden crowns upon their heads. Right? It's the church. So, one of the churches, one of the churches, one of the people of the church, because they're in heaven, they're sitting on the throne with Jesus, who's the Lord of the throne. And as this angel goes out speaking and proclaiming who's worthy, here comes the church. Did y'all see that? Here comes the church, the elder. Who else is the elders? The 24 elders. They're representing the church. They come to John. John's weeping his eyes out. John's crying. And John's, John's just uh, in, in a brokenheartedness. He's saying, who is going to, who's going to, who's going to be the champion? Who's going to be the victor? Here we are. I mean, we're in between the, the end of the age of grace, the rapture of the church, and what's coming next. And it won't come next until somebody opens up this book and there's nobody to work open up the book. Oh, what are we going to do? We're in a jam. We're in a position. I guess all of earth, all things stand still, and John's crying and crying and crying and crying. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Who is worthy? And he's weeping and weeping. And the church comes to him. Says, stop weeping. I got who that is. And if there's anybody that knows Jesus better than anybody else, it's the church. Woo! Man, listen. Of all the thousands and millions and trillions of people in all of the world who say they know Jesus, it's the church that knows Jesus. He said, there is one. He said, there is one that I know. He's of the line of the tribe of Judah. He's, oh my, he is one this morning uh, that I can just tell you with my heart and clear to my heart, he is the very root of David. John carried, carried his tears. He said, what? Yeah, there's one. The one, he's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He said, and the church said that to him. Good thing the church was in heaven at that day. John might still be crying. Oh, but it was the church. I know this man. I know this one here. And he said, he said to him, he said, uh, the, the church is saying, uh, he is worthy to open the book. He is worthy. The tribe, the Judah, the line of tribe of Judah and the root of David. He's worthy to open the book. And number two, he not open the book, but he's, he's able to look into the book. The Bible says in that verse, that verse three, 
He says, was able to open the book, neither looked thereon. But this man, he was able to not only open the book, but to look thereon. And then he was also worthy to read the book. The Bible says in verse 4, to read the book. So there's a reading, there's a looking, there's an opening. And it was only one, and it's the church's assurance and confidence and knowledge that let me introduce to you the line of the tribe of Judah, and that will identify that this man, Jesus Christ, and his humanity. Because if you look at the, you go back and look at his heritage, you'll find that the line of the tribe of Judah would prove that he's human. This man's 100% human. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was a man who had hunger, a man who weeped, a man who suffered, a man who thirsted, a man who was angry, a man who was joyful, a man who had passions like us, and yet without sin. That one who can open that book and read that book and, and break the seals of that book, uh, let me introduce to him, he's a 100% man. And then he says, he is the root of David. Let me introduce to you the root of David. And who is that? Oh, that's the Lord Jesus and his divinity. He's 100% God. 100% God, 100% God. He is God in the flesh. He is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It is God. And as you look at Jesus, you see God. I and my Father are one. And so we find that this church. Now who else? Who else in all of heaven would know that Jesus the Lord is 100% human and 100% God? Only the church. If, if, I could do, if I could raise my hands, both my hands and both my feet at the same time, I would do that. Maybe after the service, somebody show me how to do that. I'm just saying the church in this place, in chapter 5, under the circumstance that seems to be very difficult, who is worthy? The church gave the answer. And I wonder this morning, could you give the answer? Do you believe with confidence and assurity, with all your heart, that Jesus is a 100% man? He's 100% God. And that He's worthy. And only He is worthy to open this book. To read this book, to look into this book, and to unloose the seals of this book. And if you're not, you'll be like John, weeping and crying. If you are, you'll be like heaven and shouting in salvation. Hey, man. Hey, man. I mean, I got saved October 30th, 1988. I didn't miss it. I, did, I, could, I could have done a lot of things, I believe, in my life. I could become a, I could become a Muslim. I could have become a Hindu. I could become a Jehovah's um, Witness, a Mormon. I could become a lot of things through my life. But, man, I was led by the 
by the Spirit of God through a man to preach the Word of God. And I heard, and God, and God gave me faith through His Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. And God granted repentance to me as He did in Acts. And I was able to repent of my sin and by faith receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Thirty some odd years later now, here I'm reading chapter 5. And it was the church that came to explain to all of heaven. Every created being, everything everywhere, everybody everywhere. And it was the church that said, listen, that man's 100% God, 100% man. He's the one. Listen, friend, we have something to say. We have a message to preach. We got a life to live. We're not out here just making it. We're not out here just trying to get through the next day. We're not trying to get from paycheck to paycheck. We're not just saying, okay, I'm just going to die and go to heaven, get by the skin of my teeth. But listen, not only in heaven is there importance for you, but there's importance right now. Jesus. Let's stand this morning. He's the only God-man. He's the only God-man. He's the only victor. And he's the only choice. Now this morning, why are you trusting in you? Why are you trusting in a prayer? And why are you trusting in a work or a baptism? Why are you doing what you're doing when Jesus is not in your heart as a man who's 100% man and 100% God? He'll not be part of your life unless he becomes the God-man. He has to be the God-man of your life. And if he's not this morning, you're in trouble. You don't be weeping like John. Who's worthy? Who is worthy? Would you come, dear friend, and be saved this morning? Would you say, Brother Larry, I want this morning Jesus to be the God-man of my life. I'll receive him as God. I'll receive him as Savior. I'll receive him this morning as my Lord and Savior. I turn from my wicked ways, and I trust Jesus this morning. Anybody like to do that? You come. You come. Why would you reject Jesus this morning? I have no idea. According to the scripture, the rapture's already happened. We're in heaven now, verses chapter 4, chapter 5. All earth is not ever going to be the same again. It's all said and done. And the church is in heaven. Why wouldn't you want to be the church this morning? Why wouldn't you want to be saved? We know they're in heaven. Why would you take that chance? Why you continue to live in your sin and live in your selfishness? You sing, Brother George, and we'll close this morning. Would you come? Would you come, dear Christian friend? Maybe you say, Lord, I just want to lift you up. Didn't see you in that light. The man, the God-man. The Lord Jesus, Jesus the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name. Glory to your name, my Father. Thank you. Oh, yes. 
Yes, Jesus. Wonderful Lord. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the truth that we were able to hear. Thank you for the exaltation of Jesus. Boy, my heart's thrilled. Thank you, Father, that he is the only one worthy, Lord, to open up that book. And God, so we're grateful to know that he lives in our hearts and he lives in our lives. And he's the head of this church and he's the bishop of our church. Yeah.